Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And tonight, you're confined. You're trapped against your will. As we discuss Beyond the Black Rainbow and Ex Machina. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. So I had to take a breath because that is a long movie title. (laughs) (laughs) I had to like, I had to consider what I was saying. I feel like I'm going to hear a comment from John about how long the movie title is and how unnecessary it is. But you This know, is whatever. a cool movie title, though, so I'm not mad at it. Yeah. Beyond the Black Rainbow is a cool and memorable movie. Sounds like, sounds like a sick album. It does sound like a, a <laughs> sick album that you're about to drop. Like, here's my EP. Like, go listen to it. Speaking about drop, how about the monoliths dropping all over the place? <laughs> I, I mean, that's so, it's so 2001 A Space Odyssey, and I just really want people in monkey suits to get around them and do photo ops like that. Hella. I, if they don't, I'm coming for you. I feel like we're getting to a point now where people aren't fans of that movie very much. Of 2001 A Space Odyssey. They just haven't... Nobody's seen it in a while, I think. It just takes too long. It's a long movie. It's a a very long movie. It is a commitment. It's the one movie where Stanley Kubrick is so far up his own ass that he's just... (laughs) He's like poking out of his own head that's not there. Also, a general (laughs) feeling about Kubrick. People are moving away from thinking he's a genius. He has some good movies. Well, okay, I gotta give that movie props for like the spinning spaceship, though. That thing's fucking pretty. Oh cool. yeah, that's I forgot about that. I thought you were talking about the, the like specific scene where it match cuts like the bone going in the air to the spaceship. No, no, when when they're like just moving around <laughs> yeah. the fucking spaceship. When yeah, there's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to the kitchen. Doop doop doop, and it's spinning like a fucking hamster wheel. That's like the super sleek version of the future where everything is very clean. It's not it's not your alien future where everything's filthy. It's kind of funny how that was like 2001 and 2001 really did not look like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, there were I did not see any monkeys gathering around monoliths at my school. I was very disappointed, nor did computers talk to me. Well, I guess we're just about 19 li- years late on that one. Now we have the monoliths. I guess we're the monkeys pointing at them on social yeah, media. Probably. It's like what was happening in 1984. Definitely not what happened in 1984. <laughs> okay, that's what they want you to think. Yeah. No, I'm, I, where is the hour of hate? Yeah, where is it? It's been here. Well, how many oh, monoliths yeah, have there that's been? True. There's been like three, right? There's one. Like, there was wait. The first one was in Utah. Correct? Yeah, it was in Utah in some protected like natural reserve, and that one was actually there for quite a while. I guess they had spotted it on um, some satellite images from like years ago, like at least two years ago, but then. After it started to gain social media attention, it moved or was gone. It disappeared. Yeah, it and then another one had appeared, I think, in, was it Romania? Yeah. And then after that one was discovered and talked about, then another one was discovered in California. In California and San Luis, yeah. uh, Luis Obispo. Like on a cliff somewhere. And now I, they're thinking it might just vanish, but people are trying to like watch it, like to see if anyone shows up to take yeah. it because it's become a weird thing. It's like when we had like clowns just showing up. Around the U.S. Fuck for no fucking reason yeah. that one year. That was weird. You gotta watch out for the clowns, man. <laughs> small cars, they all fit in it. Fucking Dude, holy shit. It's yeah. aliens, man. It's always aliens. It's always aliens. I yeah. believe it. They're the, watching us. The At this point, of... I'll believe anything. Honestly. Nuts. I know. Huh? Yo, fucking Animaniacs came back. What the fuck, Bruh. man? Bruh. 
Actually, it's really good. Though. It's it is it's really, really good. good. It's really good. Yeah, they it's, had it's just really enough good. content to come back, and that's what the creator was waiting for. He was yeah. like, "I needed things to get so absurd that I could make the Animaniacs again." And then we had Donald Trump. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. The original Animaniac. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fucking Sega. Oh shit! I don't think they would let him into their like trio. No. Nah. nah. They just plays a cyclops that rubs yeah. Yakko on his nipples. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big orange cyclops. Yeah, and it's that's great. It's fun. great. I love that. <laughs> Toasty. Dude, they have so many like sly things. Like, we wouldn't be ruled by a demagogue, would we? Eyebrow raise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you gave me some 40k oh, no, demigod vibes. Demigod or demagogue? Demagogue, mm-hmm. definitely. Bum, bum, so funny, dude. Giving him too much credit. I fucking yeah. died. Before before Justine kicks us off, we do have some announcements. Ooh, over yes. uh, over on uh well, I mean, first we probably should give a shout out to a couple other podcasts, or I'll just give a shout out to two that I really enjoy, which would be um fuck, I got three actually. You've got Ooh. Florida Men on Florida Man, <laughs> which is great. Which is fantastic. Uh super fun little bit of like Florida history as well as their weird news clippings about Florida Man. It's a meme. Uh, you've also got um, uh, uh, our our buddy our buddy Dorian who came on for an episode a while like a long time ago uh, is doing his benzo rehab dungeon which is uh, him and Mike also uh, which is hilarious to listen it's to what, like politics and commentary with drunkenness oh yeah all mixed it, it, in belligerent drunks discussing high like highbrow philosophy and politics it is a treat. And then also uh, uh, the Spook House, also. I, yeah. believe, I believe they're based out of uh, Louisiana, aren't they? Yes, some yeah. Southern gentlemen talking about horror over some drinks. Oh, yeah, their <laughs> memes are great. They've got the meme game, for sure. So uh, good job, you three. You guys are awesome. Uh, also, one other announcement is uh, we have T-shirts up on a, a Teespring at the moment. So you can go on Get Teespring. Merch. Yeah, Just go on Teespring. You can search Bringing Down the Grindhouse, and you will find... The two t-shirts that are up there. And please, if you guys want hats or beanies or something like that, let us know. You want it? We got it. And if we don't got it, we'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've also modified our Patreon. So now there's just one price point. It is $2 for all the extra content you can get for the podcast. There's no like $5, $10, whatever. Just two dollars a month and you get to see all the extra content which is bonus episodes behind the scenes stuff our outlines pretty much everything we do to kind of put it together and you get a better idea of who we are so you actually know what we look like where we record which is usually just my living room and no one really knows that i told that to somebody else and they're like you guys aren't recording in the living room it doesn't sound like you're recording in the living room because the mics do a good job of canceling out all the noise but it's always funny for people to see the setup and they're like oh fuck okay you know what else you'd be surprised was recorded in the living room two things madonna's first album was recorded in her living room yo which is which is interesting and then that fucking got ye however the hell you pronounce that dude's name that got you record he's the one that did somebody i used to know song it's like gautier or something gautier, like oh there yeah, you go yeah he recorded all that on like an imac in his living room as yeah. well yeah which is interesting so it's not that far fetched to do all. that, folks. If we can do it, you can do it too. <laughs> Heck yeah. DIY, yo. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's one day we'll have a nice studio to record in, but yes, one we'll day. see. I'll feel one weird day. recording uh, in a studio yeah. if we ever do that. I kind of just like the living it's room. It's very relaxed. Yeah. yeah. It's my own living room, you know. 
if you want to pay the rent for a studio, <laughs> be my guest. Subscribe to our Patreon and maybe we'll make that a right. possibility. Yeah, maybe we'll actually have a grindhouse studio. Yo, imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So official. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yes. so these are my picks for the week. Yep. And I'm pretty excited to talk about them. I have never actually seen Beyond the Black Rainbow until I watched it yeah, the other day. We watched it. Uh, yesterday, I think. Yeah, we watched actually. it last night. And I did not know what to expect, and it was anything but what I was expecting. And I was into it, but I was also very confused the whole time. This is definitely a movie you're going to have to research about before and after, unless you're just really that intuitive and understanding about psychology and social issues and just have a very artistic mindset about things. But let's get into it, shall we? So the first one, Beyond the Black Rainbow, is directed by and written by Panos Cosmatos, who is also known for writing and directing Mandy, Mandy, which we have talked about in an earlier episode. Go check it out. Yeah, Love Mandy me. was his more like refined writing and directing. This was like his debut, right? Yeah, this was his debut and quite an interesting debut, if you ask me. Uh, the cast is Michael J. Rogers as Barry Nile, Eva Bourne as Elena, Scott Highlands as Dr. Mercutia Arborea. Rondell Reynoldson as Margot and Marilyn Norrie as Rosemary Nile. So there's a pretty small cast for this. Very small. What is that, like five people? Yeah, I mean, there's a few like extras, but you know, they don't really have any major talking roles. Like the 80s dudes near the end? Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> not even really a whole lot of talking in this film, which was interesting. There's very minimal yeah. dialogue. It's very much visual storytelling that you're going to get into when you watch this. So some production notes about this film. Uh, cinematography was done by Norm Lee. Music by Sonoya Caves. This was edited by Nicholas T. Shepard, who did a fantastic job. Very, very art house, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. This this is like aesthetically has such a really pleasing thing to watch. Like it's a really good cinematography. It's pleasing and disturbing at the same <laughs> it time. It is disturbing at uh, many points. Uh, the budget for this film was $1.1 million, and the box office was... Just fifty six thousand, so it did not quite it make its bombed. money back. Nobody, oh, nobody yeah. liked it, which is unfortunate. I thought it was really interesting, but you know, it's not exactly consumable for everybody. No. So, about according to Google, eighty one percent of the viewers like this film. However, it only received a fifty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes and a six out of ten on IMDb. As expected. I mean, we've had some movies like this before where they were rated pretty low, but aesthetically, they were really good. Yeah, there's definitely something to be talked about with this film. Uh, The film was shot in about three weeks using a modified Panavision 35mm camera, and this was suggested by the cinematographer because he noted uh, Panis' references to older films in the 70s and 80s. This has a very interesting aesthetic to it. Uh, Very futuristic, but also very vintage at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of camera gives really, like, grainy, colorful, full of texture kind of images and felt that it was really appropriate for shooting something like this. Yep, really reminiscent of the Technicolor that you saw in most of the old 70s and 80s films. And it's, like, the cherry on top for watching the aesthetic of this film because it's grainy as fuck, but also has, like, the super retro future that people thought of in the 80s where they're like, everything's going to be super advanced. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because as grainy and distorted as a lot of these images are, there are also moments of clarity, really clear images, yeah, yeah. which is kind of strange when it happens. It's like, oh, that's that's different, you know. 
Well, the thing is, when I was watching this, you could tell that he is the director that made Mandy because there's a lot of shots that are very yep. reminiscent. Yeah. Especially the black sludge scene where you see the skull, which I really liked. But just seeing a, a static image of a third of the screen and then seeing smoke or some other like texturalized thing going off, it's very much Panos style. So like I really appreciated that and like foreshadowed what he would do with Mandy. Yes. Even down to the coloring use, there's a really good use of red and blue lighting throughout this film, which is also something I noticed throughout Mandy. Some scenes were just all dark with red lighting, blue lighting, magenta lighting as well. So I feel I feel like this movie was definitely a stepping stone for him, and uh, especially leading up to Mandy. So because the comparisons between the two are impossible not to make yeah because this one was to me it was basically synthwave the movie uh, yeah. <laughs> yes here's synthwave with a little bit of dark wave yeah exactly <laughs> with just a little bit in there as well um you know musical genres aside uh but i i felt like he learned a lot from this one and learned what works and what doesn't and so that's why he why mandy i think was more successful uh, later on, especially like why Mandy was more successful with me personally. Yeah, so. he also made it a point to not be a sellout. Like he mm-hmm. didn't make a commercial movie with Mandy. Mandy is still like a cult classic, even though it's more successful. It was just slightly more comprehensible of what you're watching, and he perfected like his style. So he definitely wanted to bring that in. More actually happens in Mandy. True. Definitely. Which this this movie left me wanting things to happen. Yeah. Because, like, I got to be honest, at, like, a certain point, like, I took a big fucking nap in the yeah. middle of this movie. And I woke up like, oh, fuck, I, I, we're still in this. All right, let's go. <laughs> One thing to note about this movie is that uh, Panos comes from a movie background. His father worked on Rambo uh, First Blood Part Two, and uh, unfortunately passed away. Uh, but he did use the funds from that movie to fund this movie. Yeah. As well as his mother is a surrealist painting. So with his first movie, he wanted to like make an like a homage to them, uh, but uh, he wanted to make it very actiony. But he refrained from that and went more with his mother's style of a surrealist painting. Yeah. So considering the pacing of this movie, that was something I had to research a little bit about because I thought it was just incredibly slow, and I was just waiting the whole time for something to happen. But coming to research about this was done intentionally actually so the whole idea of this movie has to do with uh, a lot of psychological elements has to do with the idea of being trapped and also your societal relationships your social relationships to people so the pacing was very intentional of this as it is about a girl who is trapped in this research facility researched by this uh, psychotic man who is a, a prodigy of somebody that was going for a much different uh, idea when it came to his research facility right he looks like Maynard James Keenan with hair I was thinking the same thing <laughs> On like, point. Maynard is that you yeah why are you oh wanting that God. you got bald and you're like look it's it's tools guy yeah in a movie wow <laughs> but so Cosmoto cites that this film was paced deliberately slow he wanted to give it a hypnotic affect uh, he dubs this film specifically as a trance film subgenre, which I've not heard of before. Yeah, I don't think there's really anything else that would fit that because it makes you wait. It really makes you wait and you have to be patient when you're watching it. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, I, why is this scene so long? Put it in front of any other editor and they're like, this scene runs way too long. Yeah. Every scene takes a while to develop. Even the movements of the actors are extremely slow when it comes to 
putting a pen down, putting something right. on, moving through one space to the other. It's so slow and it makes you just kind of, if you can really focus on it, it really draws you in. But if your attention is all over the place like mine is, you're probably going to find yourself really lost at points. Same. I do have a guess though as to why it was done this specific way. Mm. So a lot of times what happens is when you're in some sort of mental facility and you don't really have control of what, like, what you're allowed to do, where you're going to go and who you talk to, your sense of time gets disrupted. And you usually will feel like things are taking forever, especially when you're getting interviewed and like analyzed. Like yeah. he's like doing little check boxes, like for any little thing that she does, like she starts crying and he's like, oh yeah, this is great. Like, this is excellent. And you yeah. don't know what the fuck he's talking Cry about. More yeah. yeah. Yes, you don't really understand who these characters are until you start to notice little details that show up uh, later on the film. But it's uh, assumed that Elena has been in this facility since she was born. Long time. It turns out she is actually the daughter of the original person who made this uh, facility. Uh, it's the the older guy he's talking to, yeah, right? Yeah, Arboria. Arboria? Arboreas? How do you say his last name? Uh, ba, ba, ba. Which is a great fucking character name. Like, I would love to use that name. Yes. Arboreas. <laughs> Mercutio Arboria. And uh, it's referenced that the name Arboria comes from, you know, Arbor, like the tree. Yeah. And it's supposed to sort of represent what this film is trying to get at is, I, I hate to say it, but the duality of man. <laughs> it shows yeah. uh, a lot of union psychology about uh, the shadow self. And it shows how a person has the potential, one, to be great and to flourish, but also have roots that dig deep down into darkness as well. You can't have one without the other. And that's something that this film really does explore. Talking it- about like uh, basically the shift from you could succeed but you could also fail heavy mm-hmm. you could yeah. go into deep depressions or or like spurts where you don't have energy yeah. or resources to do what you're trying to accomplish you it's have the potential uh, to do something great as well as the potential to do something absolutely awful yeah it's like a branching off of of freud's beliefs and then his student uh carl Jung, mm-hmm. how they had those ideas of having the darkness that might consume what you're doing and change a lot about what you think about yourself and how you're going to do it mm-hmm. and then there's even a little speech from the old man where he tells you what he was trying to like achieve with the research that he was doing you even have that little weird intro of like you know you get to find happiness through science and what did it say something else combined science and spirituality combined and so there's this interesting part in the middle which is essentially a flashback that dr nile has of his experience with some of the experiments that they're going on there and this is something i've noticed in cosmato's uh films is that they have this uh psychedelic aspect to it there's the involvement of psychedelic drugs and this thing that they're developing at the research center was essentially like some sort of psychoactive drug that was the black vat of goo that you see nile going into towards the middle when he's going through his flashback and then he emerges completely broken and distraught from the experience it's the death and rebirth of the character that they've done in a very visceral and surreal way. I had a theory about that entire scene. Yeah, go for well, it. You, we see that he takes a drug from the nurse, who is presumably Elena's mom, mm-hmm. and then he emer- goes into the black goo. It just reminds me of like what people do uh, for taking LSD and other psychedelic drugs. They have the uh, the vat of water that is like the the sensory deprivation tanks. Reminded me of that, but on a more intense scale. And when he emerges, he immediately bites Elena, or Elena's mom and kills her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if she was presumably pregnant at the time, but my theory is that she was. And that psychoactive goo went into her bloodstream and allowed Elena to have her powers as she emerges as a child. 
Yeah, I think the point of this goo was to essentially cause the human mind to evolve. And a lot of people believe should the human mind evolve, they could adapt and obtain abilities that are psychic, things like telepathy, telekinesis, stuff like that. And that's something that Elena shows throughout the film is that she has indeed these abilities that they're trying to create. Yeah, doesn't she murder someone with those powers? Yeah, well, there's a scene where she's uh, being, uh, I guess... uh, What's the good word? She's kind of getting bullied. <laughs> bullied, examined, I guess, yeah. by Dr. Nile as he's asking these questions and talking to her. And, you know, her, her eyes start to roll back and it gets the image is really shifty. And then you hear her voice in his head, but you don't actually see her talking. That was a great So that's moment. the first example of her powers of telepathy. So that's how she communicates is through the mind rather than with her own vocal cords. Yeah. Really intense visually. I liked when they did that. But he also had a very weird response. He was almost like enjoying having the invasiveness of her voice in his mind. And he has several moments like that where he's taking the drug or he's like having an interaction with someone. And it's like pushing him to this different psychological state where he's like transitioning. Mm-hmm. And then he just fully breaks in the movie, like completely breaks. Yeah. And it's shown in towards the end of the movie exactly what this goo had done to him more than just breaking his mind. It also broke his body and caused him to become deformed. His hair fell out. His eyes became disfigured. And I feel like it's really representative of what's inward, outward. And he essentially put on this disguise as he was going about his day as this well-put-together, successful man. He'd normally wear a wig and some contact lenses to hide his deformities, which I feel like is sort of a reference to the face that people put on. Because what the shadow self talks about is it's that inner subconscious drive that people do not allow to come out in social settings it's essentially what people consider to be negative and people will put on a face to hide this but it's always there and it comes out in certain ways and so i feel like this disguise is his social disguise it's disguising him as this powerful person so he can move throughout the world with confidence which is something he mentions specifically is he's confident in who he is and he knows who he is a big piece of his personality i think was just having that control of of elena as well as like anyone who might be a patient in the facility he wanted to exert that control which some people say can really corrupt or change certain like doctors or psychiatrists because they're not able to fully do their job yeah i'm glad that you bring that up because i was thinking back to the flashback uh when he meets the director arbor or what's his, Aboria? Aboria. Yeah. So there's a whole scene where he actually sees the director who actually owned the place and the facility, and there's a great conversation about how he loves nature, and he's like, it's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it makes you feel like a kid or something. He says something along the lines of that. But you could see that this guy has basically made his mentor a vegetable. Yep. Taking care of him. You know, can you help me with my drugs? Yes. And then I'll turn the TV on for you while you die. But did you guys catch the symbolism of the volcano? Uh, possibly. I don't think so. So Please discuss. Yeah, discuss. So, <laughs> so there is a scene where he turns the TV on for his dying mentor. And it says, oh, welcome to Honolulu, Hawaii. And oh, yeah. Basically, they have this whole the scene starts with uh, him just watching this. And then it explains that despite there being a, a dormant volcano, uh, there's thousands of beautiful resorts and hotels all across the, the land. And uh, even though that then they start showing like pictures of the volcano and smoke coming out of it and all that stuff, I thought it was very telling because um, everything is super normal, super uh, what's the word? You know, the word, Mitch, 
when you like wash tools under hot water, what do you do? What is that called? Sterilizing. Thank you. Everything's yeah. very sterile. It's very neat and very welcoming. But underneath that, there is Elena, who is a prominent force to be reckoned with, dormant inside because she's been inside her house this entire time, waiting to erupt when she finally has the escape. Damn. It's true. Yeah. All, all fucking hell unleashes when she's able to get out and uh, actually go, go and escape whatever was going on there. You get to see some of it, too, with uh, the doctor's break when he starts murdering people. Yeah. You see what happens when you lose control. And when you gain the control that you hadn't had for so long, what do you do with that kind of power? And that's something that was noted that the director wanted to emphasize in this film was the aspect of control. Uh, He stated, the director stated, that he's interested in social control mechanisms, our own personal internal controls, and how religion specifically affects our consciousness and society. And I feel like this film in particular really focuses on the repression of control and control of emotions. Yeah, a lot of societal expectations say that you cannot have your outwards emotions affect how you're feeling and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so this was a lot to do with how are you going to be in front of people, like you mentioned with putting on a mask for people and how you might be acting in private. Yeah, and it comes back to the whole illusion of the volcano is that, you know, volcanoes burst when there's so much pressure that they can't hold it anymore. And I feel like that's what happens in a lot of cases when people repress this shadow self, this volatile Uh, experience of their own personality when it's repressed for so long it just bottles up inside of you and eventually it's released in a very chaotic and sometimes deadly way in this case with the doctor going around on a killing spree his emotions just all came forth at once also unstoppable you can't put it back in yeah (laughs) once it goes it's going i feel like the escape is what i fell asleep during or before that was like the most interesting part yeah right and that that sucks because now i like am like oh i missed i missed when things happen because i think i woke up to the two like punker kids just (laughs) his asshole friend and then the sad boy and then that was it and now mer has a point that was so great yeah now i remember but I forgot. God damn it. Uh, so going off what you said about how the ending towards the end, that's when the action really came up. I feel like that is also like intentional with the way this movie was structured. Is right. it's so slow and consistent throughout the whole thing. A lot about how, you know, when you're representing yourself in public, it's very bland. It's very neutral how you want to represent yourself to people until eventually it just explodes all at once into this vast chaos. It's uncontrollable. And that's how the movie progressed as well. I remember my point, and it relates to yours. This was very prevalent in the 80s as well. People were repressing the fuck out of their emotions. You, I mean, at the same time, you have little boys looking at G.I. Joe wanting to be soldiers. You have adults who are addicted to cocaine and alcohol or fighting wars. I mean, you have a lot of things. People get PTSD from stuff. People have all these emotions. I mean, like, we were coming off the baby boomer thing and coming off of World War II. So by the time that we're, I mean, even the Vietnam War, you have all these things that are basically like peddling to people who are depressed or have these kind of social anxieties underneath them, but they put the mask, like you said, upon themselves. And in the 80s, it was just like, oh, well, you're sad? Get the fuck over it. Yeah, everyone was having a good time in the 80s. Go take some medication to deal with it. There was also a resurgence of uh, the study of mental illness and wanting to figure out why exactly these people were feeling that way. So post you know, Vietnam War, people were coming back pretty much just broken and fucked up. They were trying to figure out why they were feeling this way, and it translated into popular culture and media, so it makes sense. 
that a movie that's set in this aesthetic would have that sort of thing happening with the doctor and his uh his want to be in control of everything and then he just can't be in control of it by the end of it mm-hmm. i mean you have like also like i think i'm pretty sure the 80s was like all your mccarthyism and shit like that also as well. so like your red scare shit and whatnot yep yes. so you have a lot of you have a lot of that going on and so that's it's that's a lot that, that also era. plays in with the uh the ideas and themes that this movie works with now mm-hmm. what year was mk ultra though oh i don't know actually what year that was uh, i feel like it's it it was not too far off from that. It's like uh, late seventies, early eighties, I think. Yeah. That they were doing that, and it's like been confirmed. <laughs> there, there was a terrible joke that Dave Chappelle did, where he's like, "So you have MK Ultra, you have like the U.S. trying to test LSD on people because they want it to be mind control, but then they use it, and it turns out it's mind expanding, and you have all these people basically expanding their minds, going through social things in a different light." And then at the same time, you have Bill Cosby doing everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> MK Ultra was uh, officially sanctioned in 1953, and it concluded in 1973. Interesting. So this is directly following that whole uh, shebang. Let's yeah, say. Yeah, it's all it's all part of that that era and commentary <laughs> on that era. If you're not familiar with MK Ultra, it's very very interesting. I highly recommend doing your own research about it. We won't have the time right now to really get that into yeah. it, but essentially. Government-sanctioned mind control experiments on unwilling citizens. Yep, and it is not a conspiracy theory. It has been confirmed yes. by recently released declassified documents. Yes, this this is real, guys. This is America. <laughs> United did States this. did some weird shit. They did a lot of weird experiments, so that's just one of them. Mm-hmm. And it fits in really well because he was basically running like an unofficial mental institution. Yeah. Like the, I don't think this could have been sanctioned in any way by anybody. He was just doing it privately. Which is interesting, too, because you don't really get to learn a whole lot about the history of the facility. Right. Just that it's very old. Yeah. The uh, little intro has this sort of, um, what is it, like a little commercial, I guess, for what the facility was intended to be. is basically some sort of commune where people can undertake these experimental procedures to become enlightened and essentially happy. You know what it made me think of? Um, uh, Get Out. When he yeah. has the little intro, when he's like, witness the coagula. And you're like, what the fuck is he talking yeah. about? And it's just like very upbeat video of how things are going to work. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much what they did. They're like, you get to expand your mind with science and spirituality. And it's really just him like prying into her mind and trying to like tear it apart. Yeah. And I think it goes to show that when it comes to mind expansion, it's not really something that can be medically induced or forced. It's something that you come to upon your own terms. And when you try to force an experience like this onto somebody such as Dr. Nile, it has the potential to make or break them. In this case, he wasn't prepared for an experience like this. He didn't have the understandings to support this kind of information that he was given. And it essentially caused him to expose the darkest parts of himself. In this case, he became a narcissistic psychopath who had people captive in his facilities and was basically torturing them for his own enjoyment. There really was no real research going on with oh, Dr. No. Nile. It yeah. was all just fun and games in his experiments. Yeah, he was just doing his own experiment, not really changing much about it besides just keeping her prisoner. Power, power corrupts. That's something. That, oh, right. That, that is something that is that is something that is that is like self-evident in itself. In especially power over other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, I I believe we're doing the music episode, but I want to cover uh, some songs or a song by Rory Erickson, who was part of the uh, psychedelic movement in the '60s. Interesting thing about him is that he 
uh, was like was caught with a joint or, or LSD or something like that, and then he had to plead insanity in court over it, and then they eventually like put him in a psych ward afterwards, and then he came out actually insane afterwards oh, and things like yeah. that. So, and he made some really cool music too about him like seeing monsters and shit while he's walking around and actually got schizophrenia from shock therapy treatment yeah it's crazy the things you'll find out about shock therapy and a lot of cases people have reported going into these mental institutions really not that bad and then after the treatments they're exposed to became exactly what they were telling them they were that they weren't actually uh fun fun fact the american horror story the the recent season that came out they talked about this a little bit there's a, a man that was accused of murdering several people. It turns out, oh yeah. Well, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Turns For, uh, out what he is was, it? 1984. Something like is that. that. 1980 something. The new American something. Horror Story. Uh, yeah, this guy was uh, accused of murdering tons of people, sent to a mental institution, given shock therapy, and to the point where he eventually believed he was the murderer and then escaped to go on to murder people. But turns out that he was not actually the murderer. He only was led to believe through these uh, quote-unquote therapies he was given. So, fun stuff to look into. Also a great uh, season of American Horror Story to watch. Yeah, very entertaining. So self-aware of the 1984 style of movies that it makes fun of itself, and it's still really entertaining. I always found the 80s to be a really interesting decade to focus on. There's so, so much that happened in those 10 years, in the years leading up to, and then uh, coming out of the 80s there's a big nostalgia kick on the 80s it's been a, oh, around yeah. for like the last 10 years yep. but i mean it's prevalent it's prevalent indeed but i mean the doctor himself was definitely a psychopath he was definitely wanting to have that sense of control but he also is he has a lot of parallel with the other guy that we're going to talk about for for ex machina yes. who is a true megalomaniac he like he thought he was god <laughs> essentially and that's what power and knowledge will do to you but so let's see do you have any final thoughts about this film if you have more patience than me (laughs) watch it i mean i mean i i I found it pretty forgettable to be honest after i was done like, like watching the entire thing it was very like it was just it was just too much of a slow burner for me and i think it just wasn't it just it wasn't my movie yeah i think if you're expecting action and dialogue and story this is not the movie to watch More things happening in the first 40 minutes <laughs> but if you want to have a visceral visceral visual experience this is the movie for you this is the movie that'll make you think what the fuck is going on I don't condone drugs, but it might enhance your experience. Yeah. True. <laughs> Big true. This whole movie is set up like a drug trip, honestly. Yeah, very much so. And that's kind of prevalent in his style of work I've seen. Thanks, Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, what a hack. Anyway. <laughs> oh, fuck. <Harsh. laughs> well. I'm not a fan of Hunter S. Thompson. Personally, I think this movie is slow, but I see it as a stepping stone for Mandy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he's yep. a great director. I, I, mean, I like the him a lot. entire black sludge scene, the visual of ego death was very nice. Oh yeah, that's a good way to describe yeah. it. Um, other than that, though, there's there's it's a lot of style over stub, uh, substance in this one. I probably wouldn't watch it again unless 
Oh, you don't condone drugs. Never mind, John. <laughs> uh, well, legally, I can't tell people to do drugs on the podcast, but you know, whatever you do in your own time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> just you know, it's just one of those things legally. But either way, it's it's a really good visual experience. It's a the the cinematographer did an amazing job. Yeah, uh, doing all of the shots for this. I can only imagine the amount of patience you had to have to shoot these. It's a really good long music video. It, oh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like the movie isn't really that long, too. It's about like an hour and a half, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's about yeah, that it's, much. Like yeah. I don't think it could be much longer like that. than that. If it was any longer, I would have been out. Yeah, yeah I'm going to stop. Watching. How do you feel about it being shorter? Being a short film, 30 minute, 15 minute? You probably could have done a really good short film. I feel like if it was a short film, it definitely would have been easier to consume for a wide audience. But I think at the same time, it would also take away that hypnotic effect that he was going for of this film. True. This yeah. is really something to immerse yourself into. Well, I mean, Ex Machina did the same thing where there's certain scenes that are extended yes. well past when you should have cut it because they wanted you to feel the effect of like that time passing. Yeah. So it makes sense like from a, like a director's point of view of like wanting you to feel a certain way. And it was achieved with that. Absolutely. So... I think this is a good time to transition into our next topic. Right. Ex Machina. Yes. I, I really like, I really enjoy this film. Uh, this is my like second or third time watching it. Uh, this film was written and directed by Alex Garland. Cinematography was by Rob Hardy. Music by Ben Salisbury and Joff Barrow. And it was edited by Mark Day. This film has also a pretty small cast of main characters. Uh, it stars Domhnall Gleeson as Caleb, Alicia Vikander as Ava, my boy Oscar Isaac as Nathan, and Sonoya Mizuno as Kyoko. Just one of those roles that you do not expect from people. Oscar Isaac is a great maniac. <laughs> in he this is. film <laughs> there was another film of his that i had watched i can't remember the name at the moment but he essentially plays like this transient that uh, comes into this person's life and ultimately is like this parasite upon his life and ends up i think killing the the guy that he's feeding off of basically but it's it's interesting because when i was first introduced to oscar isaac as an actor it was in star wars yeah much later in his career <laughs> yeah and you know star wars you know star wars oh shit he, i knew where he was actually yeah, yeah he's poe dameron like, oh, yeah here's the crazy bit they really they were released the same year ex machina and star wars are both 2015 whoa Whew. That's a yeah, so, work on his yeah. plate. Yeah, that was really cool to see that. Also, he looks shape. very different with his head shaved. <laughs> yeah, I, I made a point. He kind of looks like Drake. <laughs> yeah, he kind of <laughs> does. The beefed up Drake. <laughs> yeah. He does. That's funny. Where's but, my hug at? <laughs> oh, shit. But <laughs> I hate it. Against Star Wars and Mad Max Fury Road, this movie did win Best Makeup Effects in 2015 at the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah, it did really well. I, I could believe it. I remember seeing this in theaters when it came out. Same. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was very, very good. This film was uh, released January 21st, 2015 in the UK, and then April the 10th, 2015 in the US. So it's actually filmed uh, mostly in the UK and also in parts of Norway at the Juve Landscape Hotel in Valdalen, Norway. Fun stuff. Got, got some hotel sponsorship. Yeah, Ooh, yes. 
And uh, let's see, how do people like this? So according to Google, 89% of the viewers like this film. It received a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb. IMDb harsh. Yeah, always. <laughs> Such harsh. critics. Yeah. What? They're a bunch of snooty old men. Um, What was the budget? The budget on this film was at $15 million and the box office was $36.9 million. Nice. So well they made their done. money back. Good job, guys. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Claps. Claps it, all around. It's much easier to watch, more digestible, and, yeah. and asks a lot of open-ended questions. Very much so. Uh, there's a lot of interesting questions that I was coming up with when I was writing the outline for this, and I was kind of understanding more as I was going through the outline. But uh, there's a few more uh, production notes. Uh, the film was shot in live action, and all of the effects were done in post-production. Uh, during filming, there are no special effects, green screen, or tracking markers used. Wild. I can't imagine how fucking hard that must have been for the post-production crew because being able to make her look like a robot must have been insanely hard. <laughs> yeah, and there's honestly a lot of props on the actress's part. Uh, Vikander was cast as Ava, uh, particularly due to her previous ballet training. Now, if you know anything about ballet, there's a lot of precise control over little muscles in the body that you have to have in order to do this sort of dance form. And having this skill set is perfect for this role because as essentially a cyborg, having a cyborg body well i wouldn't even know if you call her a cyborg she's just straight up a robot at this point uh yeah she's she's an, she's an artificial intelligence yeah you could imagine that a robot body would move slightly different than an organic body would and so having her for this role was great because she was able to portray those really small differences in muscular movements to give you the idea or the feeling that she is not indeed an organic being so props to her on that i thought that was a really interesting bit as a dancer, I always love seeing dancers doing interesting roles like this. It comes through a lot in her uh, her like like vocal delivery as well. Whenever yeah. all of her dialogue delivery is very very good and definitely makes you feel like this is not a person but almost <laughs> a person like real like ninety percent person. If you liked this movie, you should go watch a show on Netflix called The Best of Us which is a Russian show, and the main girl on it is an artificial intelligence who also has to do the movement and yeah. the speaking a very specific way because she's like, basically, they're made. Mm -hmm. And it's insanely good. So it's like the same kind of effect. Also, if you like this movie, you should definitely watch Westworld, which dives oh my deep God. into yeah. the concept of AI, artificial intelligence, and sentient beings. What makes something sentient? It's it's good. I can't even get into it right now because I'm just going to go off. But it's great. I think it's on HBO. Yeah, HBO special for, for that one. Um, you just get HBO and can watch all of it. It's well worth the watch. Oh, yeah. I, oh. I like that show a lot more than I thought I did. Also, if you like this movie, you should buy Cyberpunk on tw uh, fucking December 10th. <laughs> when it ever gets released. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, it's not really a game. They just, they just grifted everyone truth <laughs> truth <laughs> so this film draws a lot of parallels to the previous film in the way that we're talking about some sort of scientific experiment that's going on as right. well as the idea of control and a particular person being trapped under this control and what happens when they lose control eventually but comparing to the other film the pacing was a lot different this film is a lot more action and reaction based with pretty consistent dialogue throughout and so how did you enjoy the pacing of this film in comparison to the previous one? I think that the use of the sessions with Ava 
kind of cut up the story into acts mm-hmm. that which made it very digestible and lets you know that we're moving onward to the next portion of this story. Nothing, no time on here was wasted. Yeah, that's true. At all. There was really no moments of slowness where you're like, I need to get to the next part. It carried really well. It also gave you moments to be with the two men by themselves and really think about what they were discussing because they talk about really big stuff when they come together to talk about things. Like when he first asked him, he's like, what do you think about her? Like, just what do you think about her? Without thinking about all the science, this is like, how do people feel about artificial intelligence to begin with? Like, are you cool with something having that sentience and being able to be smarter than you? Right. And the idea of uh, artificial intelligence may seem sort of far-fetched but it's already here and we use it every day if you have an iphone siri is an artificial intelligence as well as alexa and that's something we think about without even or it's something we use without really thinking about it that deeply but siri is constantly listening and learning and improving upon how they act and react to certain commands to better serve and fit our needs also the science makes sense when he explains like how she works like how he made the brain that's pretty much what like phone companies are doing right now. Mm-hmm. He basically said that he turned on every microphone everywhere and listened into what people were saying, what they were thinking, what they were looking at, and then put it all inside a place where she could access it. So that's why she was able to figure out how to speak like as soon as she was born, how to like handle certain situations, and then to combine it with that body. But he also had the added element of have, giving her like a sexuality, which they discuss at some point. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting how he brought that up in the the fact that he says, well, I turn on every camera, I turn on every microphone, and instead of selling that information and putting ads and doing all that other stuff, like all my other competitors, I used it to look at reactions. If certain things would happen, how are pe- what are people searching for? What are they looking for? And that makes sense for like disaster times. I mean, like you think about it, people need beans, rice, toilet paper, some <laughs> fucked up shit. Also makes it so that she's very she can survive very easily if she was to leave the facility. Mm-hmm. One one of the big things that this movie talks about is the Turing test. Yeah, which yes. is the ability to for a for a uh, like basically for a program to pass or a uh, like a robot or computer or whatnot to pass a normal conversation with somebody. So apparently Siri has not passed the Turing test. And no, whatnot, yeah, you as can't. What, whatnot. Yeah, but there there was one though. There was one that was called Eugene Gustman, which simulates a 13-year-old Ukrainian boy that is said to have passed it at one point, which was about like about 2014 or so. Yeah, Microsoft had one at one point, and they had to turn it off because it made its own language and started interacting with other computers in the facility, and they were like, no, and shut it off because they were terrified of what it might do. That makes me think of the movie Summer Wars, which he had talked yes. about in the previous episode, which essentially this... Uh, search engine turned into an AI yeah. that became so intelligent and so smart that it started to wage war upon the humans. It was so connected into everything that it was like, okay, well, I can do this, this, and that, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about because you've allowed me to integrate so much into your society that now I'm going to take control of everything. You're no longer in control of me. Prevalent with the doors. I mean, it's all on one power system. You can't open it without a key card. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, you mean like the actual facility they were in, yeah. like his quote-unquote house, laboratory, slash whatever he made mm-hmm. it into? I like Oscar Isaac's character. Um, fun fact, the director made his character based off of any basic billionaire, is what he said. But he said <laughs> the fact that if Ava were to come out in the real world tomorrow, people would be like, holy shit, and they move on to the next thing. 
he wanted to make that the timeline like that. Oh yeah, she could easily blend. Interesting. So, I mean, did I just interrupt you? I think no, I did. You're good. Uh, okay, all right. But I mean, an interesting thing if we're if we're on the subject of AIs that have happened before, there was one in ni- 1997 by IBM. They made a computer called Deep Blue. Yeah, I've heard and of they, this. And and it and it defeated a world chess champion in a six match game that lasted a few days and whatnot, which is I found very very interesting. But there was one. I forget the name of the uh, the chess player, but he eventually did like he eventually beat Deep Blue. And the whole team was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. We got to make it better now. Uh, so interesting stuff like that. Yeah, I've always found the concept of AI to be really interesting because it's essentially creating a life form mm-hmm. in itself once it becomes to a certain point. Because, you know, as humans grow and evolve, they become more intelligent and more aware and able to act on things with their own will. And, you know, a lot of times when we have these AIs, we have to program them and build them up. But it's the same way that humans are programmed a certain way through social interactions and their own experiences of the world around them. And so a lot of times people are very frightened by the idea of AI because they could be all powerful beings. Do you find this idea to be frightening or is it really interesting to you? Uh, I don't really think it's frightening for me just because if an AI wants to do whatever the hell it's going to do, then I'm cool with that. But I could see why it would be potentially dangerous if it has like, if it's been treated terribly, like like what happens with her she i feel like with her escaping she's not gonna like take over the world she's just gonna go live her life because she's been secluded the whole time but if you have shit like the matrix where it's like we're gonna take over and kill all the humans and make them into like feeding tubes that we take our power off of that's like a whole different kind of area of it but as far as like how we're treating ai now we're not like mean to ai I would hope not. I'm pretty sure any research team that does artificial intelligence usually is very happy about them gaining intelligence. Have you ever been like, shut the fuck up, Siri? I don't give a shit. Like, I have not. <laughs> I, I have. I've been like, I don't give a shit about the turn. I can see it. You know. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm happy about our computer overlords. No, I'm just uh, <laughs> I mean, John, have you ever seen Terminator 2? Yes. Come on now. like, <laughs> but uh, Oh, shoot. There's a threat. I'm going to nuke it. <laughs> time to nuke it. Should um, I, I think... Uh, I think it is a little bit terrifying. I mean, I think that this 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 film in particular asks a lot of questions. Like, it, it, when you're making an AI, you are essentially playing God, and you know, you kind of like you know, kind of like what like Jurassic Park was trying to say as well. Oh about man, that. Like, yeah. Is it is it like the right thing to do? Is it morally like right to do this? Is it to force existence onto another being? is it can be both traumatic can be both a boon and a curse yeah in, in a sense it's interesting that you say playing god too because as i was thinking about this with ai if it advances to a certain point to where it doesn't need human interaction to function it kind of becomes its own independent being and an essential it's a life form essentially and so at that point would humans be considered god having created a whole another aspect of life in the digital world the interesting thing too about about, <laughs> yes. well, about com- computers themselves are are always want to do what is the most optimal thing right and if an ai decides that the most optimal thing that it can do is get rid of us <laughs> get rid of, if it decide if it goes all thanos on everyone and decides hey let's just eliminate half the population that solves a whole bunch of problems that's yeah. the most optimal thing I think that's also where like the Turing test comes in because in order to feel like an AI is human, it has to have some sort of a sense of morality and emotion. And I feel like those things are what would stop an AI from becoming essentially like this 
all-powerful totalitarian overlord is their sense of morality right and wrong right. and emotion and caring for other humans i would also argue that any ai that we make is going to be tainted by whoever makes it especially in the case of this movie specifically because it was made by a dude who wanted specifically a female ai that he could have sex with that's true he gave this ai the ability to experience sexual intercourse and enjoy it if she wanted to but it was obviously forced onto them because he gave them the ability to do that. On top of making her look like a human, you got to see the evolution of what the face looked like mm -hmm. when he had the masks on the wall. Yeah. And then there's other movies that make reference to this. Like when he watched uh, Interstellar, he comments, the, the main AI in that comments that they only made some of them look a certain way because it made people feel more comfortable. And I think that element of sexuality is something that also makes the AI much more human because right. sexuality is a prevalent thing in all living creatures. You know, the need to procreate and also the need to enjoy pleasure. Maybe it's not prevalent in all species, but definitely in the human race specifically, the idea of pleasure is something that's prevalent and a driving force behind everything that we do. And so by adding this element, you're also making them more human in this way. They have the desire to connect with somebody and to experience this with uh, somebody that makes them feel good. Did you ever hear about Japan? Japan's <laughs> always doing something crazy. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't it like over there? Okay. Like really far over there? It's so, also over that way, depending oh, it's on which also, way you Yeah, look. it's also over there. Take a plane across the Pacific. You can go, you can go west or east and you'll hit it eventually. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Might come full circle if you go too far. Yeah. So Japan... Japan. They have made the technology and have mass-produced sex dolls that have AI within them so right. you could program them to have different emotions if you do things. But they recently had to do, like, not really a ban, but they had to start, you know, like, th putting people on lists because people were programming their AI sex dolls to, like, um, basically not consent. Oh, geez. So you were having a bunch of rapey people try, like, raping their robots and, like, getting off because... They Yikes. programmed it so they aren't consenting. And that's like a whole, uh, that's something in 2020 I didn't think I'd hear, but I heard it. I mean, <laughs> who had this on Apocalypse Bingo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised at all that some dude decided to stick his dick in something. Honestly. No, no not surprised about that at all. <laughs> but what I'm surprised about is that, I mean, they're going to have to start getting the law down on some people because they program it so the robot can't consent, which also brings up the talking point. Do robots have rights? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say, yeah. I believe so, because, you know, when AI progresses to a certain point, you know, they are their own individual being. They have right. thoughts. They have opinions about things. And in, if someone has a thought and opinion, then they definitely have their rights because they know what they want and they know what they don't want. Yeah, it's really going to be on the creators to get to that moment where they have to, like, just let it go. But also, it isn't just them. Everyone has to be cool with that. Like, are you going to, like, if someone made an AI that was very smart and could function on its own, would everyone be cool with it going off on its own? Because there's, like, we, we have problem with just, like, different colored people. So it's like, how are you yeah. going to feel about an AI just doing its own thing? And it's very smart and, like, self-learning. So that's, like, the biggest aspect of it is, are they going to be all right with something like that? I think Probably it just not. definitely be comes down to the experience that they've had as they're coming into this age where right. they are able to make their own choices similar with humans if you treat a human bad their whole life and yeah give them these certain experiences then they'll go on and repeat those experiences with other people however if you nurture a human being with a certain way then they'll go on to then give back this nurturing aspect to their people that they interact with and i think the same would go for a sentient ai 
is if they're exposed to certain experiences, then they will then repeat and understand these experiences as such. I'm, I'm glad that you bring up uh, <laughs> specific experiences and whatnot. And I mean, this goes in with like with trauma and pleasure and all of those things as well. But I think that something this movie analyzes a lot is the effects of isolation heavily like because you see it both in nathan and in ava and in all of nathan's creations as well like the effects of isolation like there is not a scene in this movie other than like maybe one of the last ones where nathan does not drinking yeah he is he is a he is a gigantic drunk the entire time that he's doing this and then even her she's waiting for opportunities or doing things that like like uh, try to get her out of the situation and it like turns into her like you know like basically being like basically killing people in order to get out of her situation. So it becomes it's the volcano thing again. Yeah, she was also really clever. Yeah, I love the switch. Oh my god, she was she was super clever. And he even poses the question of, uh, was she just pretending to like you so she can get so she can get out? And I think when it comes to the ending, yeah, indeed, she was just kind of pretending to like this man because she saw it as the opportunity. She's very optimistic throughout this whole thing, even going so far as shutting down the power so she has a moment of unwatched time to be able to talk the way she needs to. So get the point across and get the outcome that she needs in order to get out. Because in the end, she ends up leaving this man who tried to save her. I was definitely cheering for her at the end. I was like, yeah. yes, murder this megalomaniac. Well, that too. And then also the, the guy that was brought into the facility is like the research uh, experiment. What a schmuck. Yeah. The whole time schmuck. through. I didn't, I really didn't like his character. I don't well, know what it was. He had savior complex That's the what whole it was. time. And to be honest, she was smart enough to save herself. She just needed the right opportunity to do so. Yeah. And when it came down to it, I actually am not upset that she just left the schmuck there. <laughs> Because if she had left with him, he probably would have tried to find a way to control her. And if she had went off on her right. own, he would have tried to find her or try to suppress her in some sort of way. And so by leaving him there, she ultimately gained the freedom that she's wanted this whole time. And now she's homeless in Long Island. For now. I mean, considering <laughs> the tech she out. has yeah. and how smart she is, she'll be able to adapt. Because that's essentially what makes AI more human is being able to adapt to the situation that they're in. I w- I mean, I don't, I don't know if if Caleb is like a suppressive person because he was clearly disturbed by seeing all of the images of the other AIs trying to escape. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it necessarily would have played that. That's honestly one of the tragedies to me in the yeah. ending is that he gets locked up and he was trying to help. I mean, she could have right. easily just like dipped on him once they hit city and then been gone. Yeah, like he's not outwardly uh, suppressive or oppressive of her in any way, but it's still the aspect that he knows that she's different from him. And always feeling like that person is different, there's going to be some sort of disconnect and you're going to want to do things to basically establish that you are different from that person. The same way people who are racist or sexist or homophobic will treat those people as different and justify their means for being terrible people in the fact that they feel that these people are different when in fact they are no different. And that's also a point I want to come up with AI, artificial intelligence, is is it really different from life? Because life and AI are kind of replicas of each other, just they're formed in different ways. Humans are formed organically and AI is formed artificially, but they still have the same functions and drives as the other ones. So are they really separate? Are they both just different aspects of life or are they different? I I absolutely do think that they are different because like humans have like have just have a different ability of reasoning with things. 
and or at least like reasoning with like complex situations whereas like ais are still a program to a point their reasoning comes from social programming humans social programming that has happened throughout their lives and so their reasoning may be different depending on the experiences that have been programmed into them the same way that ai are programmed through code you could say that humans are programmed through code the same way it's just a different type of code but they still are replicas or uh, opposites but the same of one another so instead of veins we have wires yeah basically is what you're trying to get at instead of thoughts we have codes but thoughts are essentially codes in their basic form well they're also self-learning at some point they'll go beyond what you gave them in the beginning and it creates something new yeah and and it even goes back to the name that you researched the deuce ex machina like the god in the machine yeah uh what is it uh the i robot movie gets at that Mm -hmm. where it's like what is that little piece of code that shows up randomly that it starts making on its own what i think would have been interesting if uh caleb would have went to Nathan. Nathan's like, all right, does she pass the Turing test? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, awesome. You fucking suck. Because this entire time, it was actually Kyoko who was the fucking robot. And you're just like, oh, shit. Then he would have been like, I'm a cuck because I like robot pussy. (laughs) He simped hard. He he really did. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, Kyoko was an AI the entire time. She reveals the flesh, shows the mechanical brain and her skull and everything about yeah, it, and which it's I thought was dope too. Cause like in the beginning, Nathan even points to that subtly is when uh, he's talking to Caleb and Caleb's like, well, I can tell that she's a robot cause I can see it. But like, if that wasn't there, would you still be able to tell him with Kyoko? You couldn't tell that she was an AI because she looked completely human and acted as such. It's a really good um, reveal since I've already since I'd seen the movie before. I knew that she was a, she was an AI the whole time which really changed my perspective on her as well, especially when she like fucks up and spills the glass and he gets unnecessarily upset about it. Yeah. And that's like, partially I feel like that's just his megalomaniac side, but it's also his like, fuck my, my creation is like broken. It's Mm -hmm. imperfect. What the hell is wrong with me? And then he like internalizes that. Yeah. Just one more thing. It also ties into the other movie as far as the element of control goes. Because this this dude, Nathan, wants total control over these creatures he's created. And I feel like that a lot of ways is how, you know, the the relationship between parents and kids or the teacher and the student. If one were to surpass the other, then there would be a problem. Because there's always that hierarchy, this power of control that comes from, I know more and I can do more than you. Therefore, you have to listen to me. And as soon as that control dynamic is shifted you kind of freak out you know once you surpass your parents there becomes a lot of problems in your relationships yeah if they're not cool with it so then what if an ai gets to the point of i should be in control because i know more than you which we've already established that ais have the potential to like go beyond human understanding of things Mm -hmm. i mean every person who exists has that sentiment too like that has the possibility of wanting to take control so just on the off chance they might take control shouldn't be a reason to stop them from growing Mm -hmm. in the same way that we shouldn't stop anyone from going to school because they might be a maniac so it's like that that same should be applied to whatever gets created and i'm more inclined to think that any artificial intelligence is like what you were mentioning earlier it's a reassembling of what already exists just different ways of like assembling something like that it doesn't have to be like the organic sort of way and then this sort of like are you gonna you know kind of go beyond those limits of what do you think is like sentient and able to grow or like are you gonna kind of restrict that and that's like an individual decision amongst all of us to make really well said (laughs) 
I think that's really where where my hesitancy towards like allowing AIs to exist in the first place like comes from is is just because we already have enough imperfect people in the world that are vying for power and yeah, use it to destructive means. And I'm just like, why would I don't know? It, it's he- I'm hesitant to like even like consider that as like yeah. something I want walking around and whatnot. Yeah. in the world because we already have enough people that are problems as it yeah, is it's so. difficult to think about but like yeah. at the same time these people even if they are evil are still real and still valid and yeah. are still thinking learning and potentially changeable beings through their learning experiences they have the potential to change their outlook and outcomes on things in the same way that uh, an ai's code could change depending on the experiences and things that they learn throughout their process of existence it's deep shit, man. <laughs> it's why, why I love this yeah, movie. It's yeah. why it appeal to a lot of people. You got to talk about a whole bunch of different things, especially in relation to artificial intelligence. Yeah, and I think artificial tel- intelligence is becoming more on the forefront of conversation as of lately. Yep. As our technology is advancing and AI is something that is in everybody's household. <laughs> They're always watching us. Go watch The Social Dilemma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good shit. That's yeah. a good documentary. Ex Machina is one of those movies where you're talking about the movie as you're leaving the theater. You're still talking yep. about it in the car. Yeah, and you get time, home. By the time you're getting home, chairs are being thrown. <laughs> yeah. You're very upset. It's like, that's not what Fuck I Fuck you. Robots are people. <laughs> they are not people. Ah. Ah. Throwing fists. Well, that was a really good conversation about yeah, that. Yeah, it's good. It's a really good movie. Go watch it. Yeah. So of that, uh, any final thoughts about this film in particular? Go see Ex Machina. Watch it. I liked the slow stabs. She didn't, she didn't yeah. even really, she was just like, Ugh. like those, very those slow. Like high grade sushi knives. Okay? Right? Yeah. They're yeah. so sharp. That shit fucking cuts. Like it's meant to do. That. Also, they're probably really strong. Yeah. I feel like given their, you know, metal structure, they're probably a little stronger than most humans are. But at the same time, considering their structure is a certain way, they could easily like how she got her arm chopped off real easily. Yeah. He like broke it off with a. Yeah. A, dumbbell I, but you could chop you could I mean, chop off a human arm pretty well just saying yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i feel i feel i feel like it shattered like glass so i and part of me believes that he designed them to be breakable mm-hmm. also so yeah. that they're not invincible oh, like yeah. things well everything so. has its weak points yeah. you know there's certain parts of <laughs> the like human not, not door he was throwing yeah. a chair against yeah. that did not have any weak points that was that was the end of that i don't know why i enjoyed that moment so much i think it's because he had previously seen uh, Kyoko's character like break her hands on the door as she was trying to get out mm-hmm. and then to see him suffer the same fate I was like this is great I, I love this that was actually one of the I think that because one of the goes, previous versions yeah it was one of the previous yeah. versions before Kyoko it was mm-hmm. the it was the other one that's in the closet there's like five other ones that yeah. she discovers but that those were just great there was a lot of good parallels and it kind of takes you full circle for like what's gonna happen and then his response when he gets stabbed is is hilarious. He's just like, "What?" He walks away. He's like, "This is unreal." And then yeah. just like lays down. This is the worst. <laughs> fucking day unbelievable. Ever. Like he's just like annoyed that he's dying. Uh, how can this happen? <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was well worth it. Yeah. So, uh, any favorite scenes from both of these movies? Ego death and uh, black rainbow hits it for me. It's just Panos style yeah just, that's true yeah i like that and then for ex machina i really enjoy um the scene where he tries to call the phone and he's like what's up dude <laughs> he's like well 
Who you try to call? Ghostbusters? Oh, <laughs> my God. And he doesn't get yes. the joke. I also love the improv dancing. Come on, man. Let's fucking dance. I was just about to say that. <laughs> I think that that was also one of my favorite scenes in Ex Machina, just because Ex Machina is very, like, serious and stoic throughout the whole movie. And then you just have this humorous moment of him with his other AI doing this dance he scene. He gets down, too. Yeah. He really does. And then he they, like, both coordinate. That. And, yeah, it's, it's he's great. done theater. Oh, totally. <laughs> if you've done theater, you know how to dance somewhat. Yeah, he's totally And then I think for Black Rainbow, probably one of my favorite moments is seeing Dr. Nile take off his cosmetics, oh, taking yeah. off the, the contacts and the wigs and seeing what he really looks like so underneath. Evil. And just unveiling this ugly being that is similar to the ugly personality that he's presenting in this facility. Uh, I like the murder of the two 80s dudes. Just like in mouth oh, fucking yeah, shoving in it. it. It got to that like gonzo violence that you saw on Mandy. In Black Rainbow, right? Yeah, in, yeah. in Beyond the Black Rainbow. Also the head crushing just uh, and like crushes their head. I was like, this is great. I'm very excited about head crushing scenes ever since Game of Thrones. Right, they just got people on a kick, honestly. There's a great one in The Boys, if you haven't seen that show. I have not seen that yet. I highly recommend that. Something to look forward to. Yeah, I highly (laughs) recommend that one because she crushes a dude while she's sitting on his face. And she's like injected herself with super serum. And she just like like just overdoes it and like crushes his head like between her fucking thighs and it's hilarious. That sounds but, great. Yeah, it's it's glorious. <laughs> and then like, from oops. from Ex Machina, it was actually one of the smaller scenes where they talk about uh, Pollock, the painter who who like made his whole career on the idea that he was doing things randomly, like he was splattering paint randomly. And how the, he was like, well, what are you going to like expect from somebody like this? If he thought about it too much, then he would have like never painted anything. But there's also like rumors and speculation that there actually was a pattern to his work and that he wasn't as random as he claims. I think that's part of chaos theory. Right, exactly. Even in chaos, there are patterns that emerge yes. within the nonsense. So they're kind of saying like there is no sort of like true randomness to whatever yeah. they were doing. And in a way, I feel like that's really representative of human consciousness because human yeah, consciousness totally. is chaotic and sometimes people do things that just don't make sense. But there is patterns somewhere deep in that oh, nonsensicalness. Yeah. You yep. didn't, you didn't, I didn't win a contest. You looked at my porn results. Oh, uh, man. When he realizes he's a fucking simp, <laughs> he's just like, you based her off of my porn searches. And you're like, yep. Love it. Sorry, man. Yeah, he's Aww. like, sorry, bro. <laughs> he thought you were special. That's cute. Yeah, he really does fuck with him at the end there, where he's yeah. like, you thought you were, like, really the best coder? Like, you're dumb. I mean, I don't, I don't have too many favorite scenes from Beyond the Black Rainbow, to be quite honest. Like, other than the one that, other than the one that, like, the, uh, the, um, isolation chamber that Murr mentioned and also like the two punker kids at the end was was all was it was all right um but then uh but with an ex ex machina like any of the scenes where it's just where it's just caleb and nathan talking about like like science stuff i loved all of that like yeah. it's all it all it, that's where all the big questions come in before they get to the action that's in the movie as well dope so final ratings for these films uh black rainbow i'll give a four it could it could have been better but it's that's i can't judge it like that though because it's it's an homage to his mom and then mandy is so much an homage to his dad so it's really just more of a personal piece that somehow made it onto video (laughs) and then i think it has a lot to say but i kind of gets cloudy and it's not the movie to watch at 4 a.m by any means (laughs) um 
I give Ex Machina an eight. I think it's very strong. It has a lot of conversation pieces and it could happen any day now. This is true. Um, I think for Beyond the Black Rainbow, I, I'm i kind of torn on the score, honestly. I, I personally really liked it for the visual aspect and the psychological elements that are involved with it. So I want to give it a six because I think that as far as it being just an immersive experience is really well done. But at the same time, it's not something that can really be consumed on a wide range. It's it's definitely its own thing. It's its own genre completely, I feel. I don't really know what genre I would put this movie in. I guess sci-fi horror, but even still, that doesn't do the concept justice. And for Ex Machina, I want to give it an 8 because I think overall it's a really well done movie. Definitely something that's more consumable to the public. It introduces some really interesting ideas and uh, elements of science fiction that has now become reality. And also makes you question existentialism and like, what is it to be alive and to be sentient? Uh, when it comes to Beyond the Black Rainbow, I'm, I'm going to go with Murr and I'm going to give it, well, not really Murr. I'm going to go up one more. I'm going to give it a five. Um, mostly because cool visuals does not a good movie make. And I, I feel like there it was severely lacking in the script writing for this one as well. And it just wasn't enough to make this accessible to me. And it was just way too slow. Um, but uh, on Ex Machina, I'm giving this movie a 10. Nice. A 10 because the pacing is really good. There's no point at which I feel like my time's being wasted or that or anything I'm seeing is not important. Uh, the it always has a bunch of questions you're thinking the whole time that you're watching this movie if you are like even all an active watcher I think um, and I think that like all the special effects looked really good on it uh, even like the dialogues all really well done the acting is just superb in this one there's no point which I'm like that was flat never so it's just it's a perfect movie in to my opinion for beyond the black rainbow I'm actually gonna give it a seven because the visuals appeal to me very heavily. I like the surrealism. It's very art house. I love art house films, even if they're like very low on the, the scripts, because you can do a lot with visuals. So film is heavily the visual element, and he used it well, even though the, the story was kind of lacking and could have had more in it. And then for uh, Ex Machina, I do almost want to give it a perfect score, but I want to give it like a nine only because I think you missed a chance for people in it to be truly sinister, to like really be much meaner in what they were doing. It was kind of like it was scratching the surface of just how crazy he was, but it didn't quite get to a point where you're like, this guy is fucking crazy. It was more of like, yeah, he's kind of obsessed with himself. He's kind of like a rich billionaire, but you never got to the point of like where you realize what exactly he was doing, that he had been having several iterations of this same AI that he was like just fucking and destroying whenever he wanted to was like kind of glossed over. And the script was just so good. This is like so well-written and the delivery on it couldn't have been with any other people. So just to see how like much he fit into that role was really good, but I don't give it a perfect score because of that. Well said, well said. <laughs> well, thank you all for discussing these movies with me, with us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we really appreciate the support we've been getting from everybody. Shout out to the UK. Yeah. Apparently, we have a lot of listeners in the UK. So <laughs> yeah. This one's for you guys. Uh, so, yeah, you can find us on social medias if you're interested in what we're doing. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. 
can also find this podcast basically anywhere you find podcasts. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, the list goes on. You've probably heard this already if you've been a frequent listener of us. Uh, check out our Patreon. We're going to have, we, we promise, we promise once the new year rolls around, we're going to have some real cool extra content for you guys. Also, merch. Please, please, please support us. Buy a shirt. Help us pay for that studio we're trying to get. <laughs> uh, it, it would really mean a lot to us. Thanks, thanks, mom, for buying a t-shirt. Right. Thanks to the friends for also buying t-shirts. I'm about to get myself a t-shirt and best believe I'm going to wear it everywhere because that shit looks sick. Let us know what you want to see from us, what other types of merch you want, what other types of films you want us to cover, and we'll do our best to cater to our listeners because we really appreciate each and every one of you. And with that being said, I think that's everything, right? Yep, yep that's everything. All right. Well. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you. 